You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. movies were made. Adventure to make you wonder if it's true while your eyes convince you that it is. Truly the thrill of thrills. Don't miss it this time. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we're back, and we got a great one for you tonight. You know, I say that every week, but this is really special because we are looking at the 90th anniversary of the original eighth wonder of the world, King Kong. That's right, folks, it's going to be a great movie talk tonight, and we got a great crew to talk all about it. Of course, Mr. Mark Maddox is joining us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on. I love this subject, so I'm going to have a good time. And, of course, we couldn't do a movie without Ashley Pauls. Thank you. I am honored that you asked me to be a part of this. This was my first time seeing the original King Kong, so it was a cool experience made even more special that I get to chat about it with you guys. This is kind of cool because this is, you know, I guess we'll put it into the category of educating Ashley. So it's very cool. (laughs) <laughs> so it's it's a cool thing. And of course, couldn't do this without my co-host for this evening, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you, my friend? I am Peachy King. Ready to talk about the king. Long live the king. The king. The king. It's going to be interesting, and we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please, feedback at earthstation1.com is the best way to get in touch with us. Or, of course, if you're on YouTube, please leave feedback. Let us know your thoughts on this. Of course, like and subscribe. And while you're at it, ring the little bell at the top. That way you know when we put out a new video because we're coming to you now twice a week. It's a great thing with YouTube. And, you know, we're doing this because of you guys. And thank you, thank you, as everyone likes to say. All right. So we're going to jump in and we're going to spoil a 90-year-old movie. So (laughs) if you haven't seen it yet, like Ashley hadn't, we're going to spoil a lot about this one. So, Mr. Mike, take it away. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. 1933, a king is born. Um, Ashley, we're going to start, we're going to jump right into it. Start with you since this is your first experience. First of all, what is your overall experience with Kong? Had you seen any of the versions of King Kong? Yes. And I'm actually kind of embarrassed as I realized like this is a classic film that I have not seen before because I have seen uh, the Peter Jackson remake. I can't remember what year that came out, but shortly after his Lord of the Rings films, I've seen that one. I have seen Kong Skull Island and of course Godzilla versus Kong. And I mean, you can't escape King Kong and pop culture, probably one of the oldest and most famous uh, pop culture characters. So was very familiar with it. And I was really excited for this reminder and opportunity to go back and watch the original because not only did it inspire all this material afterwards, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but the special effects and the filmmaking um, that took place in this movie will impact Hollywood for many years to come. So it was cool to go back and see one of the first movies i'm sure that pushed special effects and this type of storytelling so it it really is a must see for film fans i would say absolutely 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 and and yes it is a very important movie in the history of film uh i think there's no doubt about that i mean it's on all the lists it's on the registry to preserve it you know it's on every list that you can think of as far as great films uh, go and great uh, dialogue and great special effects, great horror movies, everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's no question, but the real question I have for you is um, does it hold up as a movie? Is it still an an entertaining movie for you an experience for you as, as opposed to just a kind of novelty of, of how things were back in the (laughs) thirties. Yeah, what I was impressed with, I mean, obviously I knew going in that the special effects would appear, you know, different than the special effects we're used to now as modern viewers. They didn't have the access to all the computer technology, but what I was impressed with was... They didn't have any computer technology. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. So, like, 1933, yeah, yes. So, I was found myself impressed with how much they were able to accomplish with practical effects and the tools that they had at their disposal i mean it watching the movie made me want to watch a behind the scenes documentary more how they were able to do this with the tools they had at the time so yeah i'm if you look at it in comparison to some of the marvel movies uh we see right now yeah the special effects are more dated back then but i think it's really important to watch a movie like this and appreciate how far things has things have come and i mean it's still a compelling story because obviously we have seen it copied many times by hollywood and inspired various stories yeah yeah uh mark i want to turn to you um when was the uh first time that you saw it because i think as ashley was talking there i think actually um i think my first experience with kong was in 76 the 76 remake I don't know that I saw this one. I don't think I saw this one first. If I do, I don't have any memory of it. And uh, um, what about you? What what was your first experience with Kong? Well, um, having an older brother who loved stuff like famous monsters and things like that. We were living in Germany at the time and Gold Key came out with a King Kong comic that would be printed, reprinted later during the Jessica Lang, when the Jessica Lang film came out, they reprinted it much bigger, but this was one. And my brother threw a temper tantrum because mom and dad weren't going to pick it up for him because it was 35 whole cents. 
Oh man. It wasn't even 25 cents. It wasn't even like, you know, it was 12 cents for a comic. And so he threw a temper tantrum and I came back in outside from playing and he was sitting at the end of the dining room table, holding that comic book up, looking right at me like, yeah, I got it. So anytime he wasn't around, I looked at it. I was very stoked about this, this idea, this concept. And then in 1969, when we had moved back to the States, uh, watching TV when I was in the third grade and, uh, and the a commercial comes on Wednesday night, uh, King Kong. And they showed the previous showed actually one of those old trailers that would have been from a theatrical release. And my sister, who's, uh, you know, it's just sort of like, God, at least why have you got to be this way? She walks in the room and says, you're not going to be able to stay up and watch it because that's at eight o'clock and you're in the third grade and there's no way mom's going to let you stay up and watch that movie. And my mother was in the kitchen and she stuck her head in the door, saw the preview on the TV, realized what it was and goes, yeah, you get to stay up <laughs> and you, and you even get to watch it on the big TV. Oh, that's so awesome. it was, Hail to the king, baby. Nice. I was was (laughs) so worked up about seeing this movie, though. This This is a true story. I've told this story to Bill Stout and several others. I was so worked up about seeing this film. I went to bed the night before, had a dream to my horror that Kong shows up, and it is a 60 or 70 foot tall man in a full business suit with a briefcase. I don't even know what the hell. I think maybe, you know, the old Kong's in a suit. I don't know. Is a guy in a suit. But uh, I was like, it's a guy carrying a freaking briefcase. I woke up. I was like, man, what a horrible nightmare. Then that night got up, uh, you know, got to stay up and watched it and was completely blown away by this ball of energy. This movie that once it gets going, it it actually pretty fast through the whole film, even the early buildup parts. But when it gets to that, it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark with dinosaurs, just one set piece after the other. So, yes, I was uh, I've loved King Kong for many a decade. Mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike, what about what about you? Do you recall your first experience with uh, King Kong? I had to be something like seven or eight the first time I saw the original Kong. And it was at a movie theater of all things. They had were showing a showing of it, and this was probably like 1974 mm-hmm. or so. And they were it was at a cinema. And my grandfather took me to go see it because he said, "You want to see a real monster movie, not some guy dressed in a costume." Because you know, Channel 20 in DC was showing. Godzilla movies and everything. And we were watching after school, we were watching Ultraman and Johnny Sacco and stuff. And he was always disgusted with watching that. He says, that's not real monsters. You've got to meet Kong, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Where were you? Where were you living? Washington, DC. You were in Washington. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Because it was channel 20 in Washington, (laughs) DC that was showing it. So I don't remember what theater, but I know we went into the city to go see it. It wasn't anything in the suburbs. And it was, he was so excited to take me to go see it. And it's interesting because it wasn't the same version of it that I watched now because it was heavily edited. A lot of the stuff that we saw in the version I watched last night was not in when I was a kid because 
there was stuff because I hadn't watched it probably in at least 15, 20 years. Yeah, this and is, it was pre-code. So yeah, exactly. Was, and so there's a lot of stuff was, cut out. <laughs> it was interesting watching it yesterday and compared to what I was because I remember going to watch it and, you know, there were some dinosaurs, but I didn't remember Kong putting people in his mouth. I don't remember, you know, stuff like that or some of the dinosaur battles and stuff and it was it was just interesting and some of the things with the natos and it was just real interesting that you know to go see it as a kid and now watching it now big differences big, yeah, big they, differences. Slowly, they slowly added that stuff back in there was actually sections of them adding it back in there was a few bite scenes originally and then you got further along and i've got the Turner Classic Movies Blu-ray of it, and it's got everything back in that can possibly be back in. Mm -hmm. You know, exactly. And that's the cool thing with it is that they did put it all back in and everything. Mm -hmm. And because I remember seeing it in the theater and then being super excited when they announced that they were doing the Jessica Lange version. And it was, you know, because that was what seventy-seven, I think, right? Seventy-six. Seventy-six. And he, the world, the whole thing, you saw the poster with him standing between the two buildings of the World Trade Center and holding the helicopter and everything. I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome and everything. And I remember going, I got, went with friends. My parents took us to go see it then. And, you know, I was impressed with that. But there's something about the 1933 version that still holds a, a darling place in my heart. It always will. Mm-hmm. and everything because what they were able to do with it and such and you know compared to what they could do today like ashley was saying it's night and day but for a hundred years almost a hundred years ago this is pretty amazing that yeah. they were able to do that yeah. yeah yeah the last time uh i think we were all together i think you were on this one too uh mark when, in october when we did the 100th anniversary of uh, nosferatu right um um like you see and that's that's just like 10 years have passed between Nosferatu and this movie right yeah yeah. so that's a big leap in terms of the technology that they were able to do and uh I think a lot of it still holds up still story-wise and everything like that like I said I don't I wish I could. I don't remember the first time I saw this. Um, it was either a rental or it was on channel 56 creature double feature, uh, one of the two. Um, but I probably saw the 76 version first. I probably even saw Kong versus Godzilla first, to be honest with you, because 56 was showing those Godzilla movies every week. And, and I do remember watching that one in particular, but regardless, Kong was in the pop culture. I mean, by that time, he was so, he was like Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, like he was in a lot and referred to in a lot of other shows, movies, specials, comics, books, like everywhere. Like he was, or imitations of him were everywhere. Um, So uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure though, when I saw it, I'm like, like Mike, I saw a version that wasn't, that wasn't complete. It didn't have those, you know, cause still to this day, even though I've seen it more than I've seen any other version of Kong, mm-hmm. uh, I've seen it, you know, more than five, 10 times, somewhere five, 10 times now. Um, but I still get shocked when, you know, when he steps on people and when he bites people and 
when he takes that poor woman out of her bed and, and dumps her down in the in the like dumps her in the in the street, like she wakes I, up. She like, wakes up, and yeah. that's what she sees: is this yeah. giant hand grabbing her, and then ten seconds later, she's dead. It's I like so sorry. I was not prepared for some of that. Man, oh man! Yeah. It, 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 yeah, this is a pre-code movie, so this is before yeah. you know they get really uh, clamped down on this, and uh, you know, and I mean that we're just talking about the violence. Of course, there's a little sexual element to it occasionally. Uh, a couple of scenes too that were edited too, but oh, yeah. um. Kong ripped uh, off her dress. Yeah. And then, and, and then smelled his fingers. It was kind of yeah. a weird kind of fetish thing. Like it was just kind of a weird thing. Like, um, and, and, you know, um, I almost said something really bad, but I'm not going to. The nope. thing that's, nope. the nope. thing that's, uh, the perfume ad. The thing that, you know, and, and, and every time I watch it, I marvel at the innovation that it took to make this movie. I mean, this isn't the first time they use stop motion. This isn't the first monster movie. This isn't the first, like, time they've done any of these things but i think it's the first time where they've done it like all in one movie sometimes all in one shot you've got stop motion you've got rear screen projection you've got puppets you've got like uh like all these things put together to make these scenes some of these sequences take seven eight weeks to do um uh i mean this movie there was a lot of love that went into this movie and since nothing really like it had been made before, this was a risk for RKO. If they didn't make this, they would have definitely, I mean, they were, they were teetering on being on going away. Anyway, this movie made RKO uh, at least last a little while longer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And uh, so I think, and I also think it's interesting too, that, you know, a lot of movies, because I watch Turner classic movies a lot and the ratings always come up, you know, if you're watching Arsenic and Old Lace or some classic, like, you know, screwball comedy or something like that, it's always G-rated, right? Even the most movie, even though most of the movies are made for adults and not made for kids, they're still rated G, anything with Catherine Hepburn or whatever. This movie is PG. Like, even, even now, King Kong is still not G because it's, yeah, some of these things are horrifying. Like, they just yeah. are really horrifying. These are real, these things are realized. So, um, so yeah, let's talk about the, uh, the actual specifics, uh, Ashley, we'll go back to you. Is there a, a particular sequence or scene in the movie or something like that, that, that really resonated with you? Yeah. I think that the whole sequence on the Island was just fascinating to me because like as a modern viewer, I was familiar with the story, so um, it didn't necessarily come as a surprise. Like they go to this island shrouded in mist and then they're attacked by all the creatures. But just putting myself back in the mindset of if I was going to see this back in 19, in the 1930s, like I would have been on the floor. Like I think that it would have just blown my mind seeing these people, these actors interacting with these prehistoric monsters and just getting to see that type of story played out on a big screen, I think would have been really amazing to be a person in that time and watching it. And then um, also very interesting, the contrast of then seeing Kong brought into New York city. I mean, like we as viewers can see like Kong's running page, like you should definitely not bring him to a heavily populated area. It's like the whole Jurassic Park thing, but people are going to 
do it anyway. Like um, the filmmaker, he wants to make more money. And of course it turns out to be a disaster. So it was also just really interesting to see this type of creature in a completely different environment than what he was used to. And it kind of makes sense that he would be disoriented going on a rampage. So it was just um, really interesting to see both those facets of the story. And then again, how, many elements of the stories were copied ended up being copied in later films and stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to be clear, I want to also take a moment just to give credit where credit's due story uh, co-directed and co-produced Marion C. Cooper is the man who created Kong. Now, obviously he's got a lot of help. Uh, The um, screenplay was also helped a little bit by Edgar Wallace, who was a novelist at the time, who actually, I think, died before the movie actually was released. He died like a year before it came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, he helped a little bit with the story. But really, it's Cooper. And uh, help me out, Mark. Is it Ernest Shodzak? Shodzak? Yeah, actually, his wife, I don't know if they were married at the time or whatever, but his wife came in because they had another guy come in and write more to it. And it still wasn't getting certain a certain Ruth vibe. Rose, right? Ruth Rose. And mm-hmm. they and she had never really written much, but I, I mean, I, I guess she navigated through and pulled yeah. out <laughs> some good stuff, you know. It, it does seem to have, I mean, yeah. obviously it's in the 30s. And, you know, if you try to apply today's, you know, social politics or whatever on it, it it really like is lacking. But, but I do think that this does feel like, it doesn't feel like a complete uh, like sausage fest. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a complete like testosterone movie. It does feel like it's got like, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Faye Ray's character is put through hell, but I don't get the sense that it's hard to it's hard to say i don't i don't get the sense that it's really exploitive as far as the movie goes she's her character's exploited but i don't feel like the producers of this movie are exploiting fay ray is that fair um i you know i uh, i think that if mike gordon was put on that island and tied up and then kong would have grabbed you and then run off and everything you'd be screaming just like fay ray yeah, I would have saw it myself. I would have saw it. I'm going to be honest with you. Remember when the guy is running from the brontosaurus and climbs up the tree, and and you hear this? His screams are so high pitched. You're being attacked by things that are massive in comparison mm-hmm. to you, with giant fangs, muscles, and everything else. They're wild beasts, and they're colossal. You're just, I mean, I'm amazed that she held it as well as she did, as Fay Ray held it as well as she did. Yeah, uh, I would have yeah. just my heart would have just exploded. Okay, that's it. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. short yeah, movie. <laughs> I really feel like it's um, not necessarily targeting her as a female character, but just the fra- um, how fragile humans are in this island that they could basically be just wiped out easily by any of these creatures. Yeah, the first act of the movie, which I mean, it's, it's we don't see Kong until halfway through. And then afterwards, he's pretty much almost in every single shot, which is just beautiful. Um, now, if you're waiting for him, it you know, sometimes that first half can feel like forever. Um, it certainly does in the Peter Jackson version. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's like two hours before he appears or something. It feels long. But, um, but the movie seems to be making some sort of like it almost seems to be making fun of or not, at least it's aware that exploiting these women is a thing because Mm -hmm. 
it it really feels like we're not supposed to be on the director's side. I mean, we know what he's doing. Right. Um, actually, almost everybody in this movie, including Kong, are not like stand-up great people. I no. mean, Kong's been eating women, I guess, for like years, decades, maybe. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not somebody you want to really feel sorry for. Yeah. Because it's not like he goes back to his place and he's got a bunch of women that he's been like, you know, like uh, keeping hostage or whatever. For he doesn't decades. have a dollhouse. He doesn't have a little Kong dollhouse. <laughs> yeah. Puts yeah. Him up on I, the think, different I think the only reason the only reason he doesn't eat her is because she's different. She's golden, right? Her hair and everything. He's never seen anybody quite like her before. And I think that fascinates him. Uh, otherwise, it's just another. I mean, man, you feel really sorry for that one woman who's been who, who she replaces, right? The one that's <laughs> the one that's been all trussed up and ready to go. Um, you know, and she dodged a bullet. <laughs> Did it say she was like, she's yeah, like no, on the platform. Her. They get the other girl instead, <laughs> and then Kong gets grabbed and taken off the island. And she, just, that woman, just went. Whew, like man what a close uh, one man this has been going on for thousands of years and i got out of it you know yeah. so. uh mike what about you what's something about the movie that resonated with you this time around this time around it was interesting because you know it showed how life was in the early 30s you had you're in the middle of the great depression at that point and, you know, you saw the, all the women in line in New York City and, you know, for the food, you know, for the food and everything. And then, you know, the merchant cap, you know, catching Fay Ray's character, you know, stealing the food or was she going to put it back or whatever. And, you know, that's what it was just people, she was down on her luck and a lot of people were at that time, which was really, really interesting. And, I that hit home for me a lot and but then also how exploitative the natives were and everything on the island and you know it's but you know they were trying to represent it and it it hit its point and everything and Kong doesn't show up till almost halfway through the movie and there's quite a bit so you have like waiting and waiting because you're like oh when are we going to see him when are we going to see him and then you see him and he's so massive and it's it's beautiful it is a beautiful scene when he comes out of the jungle and like rips the trees away and everything and it's just it's a great great scene and how you know it's basically you know Feyre is up against you know i guess against a movie screen or something where you know the the stop motion was playing and it was done very very well it was mm -hmm. really really done well and the effects the effects between the battle between kong and the dinosaurs was great i loved the scene when kong was shaking the log with the, the men on it was oh, was great. great that was such an awesome awesome scene and it just everything, like you said earlier, once Kong showed up, it was like going 90 miles an hour. You were not yeah. slowing down at all until the end of the movie. A uh, couple things. I mean, we didn't, you know, 
do our usual uh, start with our usual box office report for the movie. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that this movie was a huge success, uh, making about five million dollars in its initial release. Uh, the opening weekend estimated at ninety thousand dollars, which if one thing to put that in in uh, 90 years ago, that's impressive. But also, as Mike pointed out, that's during the Depression. Yeah. yeah. Like that's during depression. People have no money, and yet people are like, "We need to see this movie." There were I mean, ads that's... about that. There were ads that actually said, "New Yorkers have no money, but they put sixty thousand bucks or whatever in one weekend to go see King Kong." Something along those. I don't remember what the number was, but it, it people scraped their pennies together to go see this thing. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and and they walked out, and I don't think they were at all disappointed. Oh, um, no. You know, uh, so I mean, that's that's a credit to this movie because it, you know, it's weird though. It wasn't the biggest movie of the year, uh, which is so strange to me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow. Um, but the, um, but inside the movie, I laughed too because there's that one sequence where everybody's getting ready to the, the debut of Kong in New York, and everybody's getting taking their seats. And that one guy's going down the aisle and was like, man, this better be worth the 20 bucks I spent on the tickets. And I'm like, 20 wow, bucks? 20 bucks is a man, lot. Bargain. No, no, no. 20 bucks was no, insane. Oh, I just meant like now, oh, now. today. Yeah, like, yeah. That would be oh, a bargain. Yeah. That's, that's a movie ticket now, right? Yeah. Um, that's about how much I paid to go see Guardians. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, during the Depression, to pay 20 bucks to see this, that yeah. was a lot of money. Uh, yeah, that would have been like, you know, Three hundred dollars, really. But I mean, it's a tough ticket to get, I'm sure. And they had no idea what they were going to see. Well, Um, movies at that time were ten cents. Yeah, so that you know, yeah, take that. It's like you can go to a movie for ten cents or pay twenty bucks, probably for two tickets. So let's say like a hundred times that, right? For uh, to see a live experience, and uh, well, and then and then run out screaming for your life. (laughs) Yeah. Is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, let's talk about, uh, yeah, let's talk about other things. Um, and Mike, you put a lot out there, especially with the special effects. And I love, I love the fights. I love Kong fighting the uh, first, the T-Rex-ish character, uh, dinosaur. And then the, I'm not sure what the name of it is. It's not a snake, but it's some sort of, it's got little legs. On yeah, it's got little legs. Yeah. It's a it's a giant a, iguana. Yeah, but the, so yeah. and you know and then the and then the pterodactyl type thing. I mean, he's going like, <laughs> like everybody wants this woman, and he is fighting off creature after creature after creature. Um, uh, I I really thought all of those sequences were done well. The one thing I point, noticed this time, and I don't know why, maybe it's just because I'm so in the wrestling after you know but the moves especially for kong and the t-rex are wrestling moves like he's yeah. actually putting them in he's putting him in a headlock he's doing a uh front over flip on him like he's like i was like wow kong kong went to wrestling school yeah and he fl- <laughs> flows him over and the tail follows along with the dinosaurs it's flipping over yeah but most people don't realize all those dinosaurs were created for another film that was in the production, a movie called Creation that oh, right. Willis O'Brien was floundering with. And then uh, it looked like they were going to they were going to axe that film. And he had spent a lot of money on it. And then he met uh, Cooper and uh, or was it Showtech? One of the two or both. 
and they they looked at the script for his film and it was they said god this is terrible terrible movie with a bunch of cool uh, special effects pieces in it and they knew that was how they were going to get the special effects they wanted for their film these two guys were uh as we know adventurers and explorers these two guys and had been you know one of them had been a a, a pilot had been shot down had been in a concentration camp in uh, in, in russia and all that stuff but they also had they were very rough and tumble guys and had made these, they were just like Carl Denham. They had made these animal action pictures and stuff like that. And their shots of that. One of them got is up in a tree and a tiger is trying to get up in the tree at him. And this is not lenses that zoom in way close. This tiger's coming up this tree after I think it showed sack. He's up in the tree and, and the tiger's face gets right into the lens wanting to eat him. Uh, so originally they said, started talking about doing stuff. They were fascinated by Komodo dragons, dragons that were on the island of Komodo that not many people had seen. And I'm glad this never happened because, you know, thank goodness this didn't happen. They wanted to take some gorillas from Africa, take them over to the Komodo Islands and see if they could get the gorillas to fight the Komodo oh, dragons. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank goodness that didn't happen. Uh, but, um, yeah, anyway, so uh, we were talking about special effects. Uh, one of the things I love about the film is the Island itself is got like a canopy over the top. You very rarely see sunlight. I think it's one of the coolest things about it. And I still think it's one of the things that makes it still the greatest hand animated monster movies. It's like numero uno still to me. Because they did sheets of glass with paintings of foliage all the way off into the distance. Mm -hmm. And so when you see that, and my favorite sequence in the film, which I never got to talk about, was the dinosaur with the plated dinosaur way off in the distance sitting there just chewing, chewing its cud. And then he goes, let's make sure it doesn't see us or whatever. And finally, it goes in and out between these panes of glass and finally sees them and charges It's just amazing because you see little bird creatures flying in the background just as little extra additions. There's millions of plants all over the place and vines and vegetation. But I love that charging monster. Oddly enough, a scene without Kong or Fay Ray or or anything else, that's my single favorite moment in the film. That's awesome. That is a a great moment Um, until they kill him. And then I feel bad for him because he was just, he was just, he was just munching away having his lunch and all of a sudden. It was just territoriality. He wasn't going to eat him or nothing. (laughs) No, I don't think because, well, I mean, what we know about a lot of those dinosaurs now is that they were, they were uh, plant eaters. Yeah. Right. So, um, um, and I, am I curious about this, Mark? I love when, I loved when they said though, it was funny as hell. It's like, what is it? I don't know. It's something in the dinosaur species. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been about, about the level they knew of that stuff back then. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have to ask, cause I don't, I know, I don't, I don't, I know I haven't seen this one. Um, and I'm wondering how it compares because a few years before this 1925, they come out with the lost world, which is an adaptation of Arthur Conan Doyle's, uh, which I don't know if that was the first time dinosaurs were seen on screen, but certainly I think that was the first like dinosaur There's epic kind of kind variations. Of. Yeah. There was um, car- but cartoons. How does that, how does this compare to that? Um, I think the animation in the case of the lost world is like where King Kong goes, like the hand moves like this, you know, in the lost world, it's like that kind of thing. It's more staggered. Uh, mm. They, they had, they had gotten better 
at the in as what what animators are now call now tweening in between the in between motions to give it more fluidity. It does have, and I've seen the movie before. It does have a, a King Kong ending, which later when they made the movie The Lost World. Spielberg's they did the exact same thing with no credit is that they brought a giant dinosaur to in the original story London and it attacks London a brontosaurus uh then when they did the lost world with Spielberg it was a t-rex that got out but yeah. um, was it San Francisco or something like that yeah um I can't remember but yeah I mean um it, it, it's a it's a nice movie to watch but uh and I do like it but Kong is is definitely them uh, with a lot. It's got a lot of polish on it in comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you on this question. Um, uh, which uh, besides Kong, besides the title character, do you have a favorite other character in the movie? Well, I like Carl Denham a lot. Um, one thing I wanted to say was listen to Bruce Cab. Watch the film again. Listen to him, listen to the way he talks, and look at his face. He's Harrison Ford minus 20 pounds. I hmm. mean, he sounds like him. He, 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 he's he got that kind of, you know, oh, I'm sorry I wrapped you in the mouth there kind of thing. He sounds almost <laughs> like Indy in the first in Raiders in the early part. But uh, Carl Denham I like. I like everybody in it. I like I like the captain. Uh, I like the cook. Uh, you know, I, you know hmm. everybody's uh, – it's that old, you know, that old Hollywood sort of thing, you know, old movie sort of style. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably say Denim. Denim's my favorite character. Ashley, do you have a favorite human? <laughs> well, actually, kind of the same thing. Um, I thought the director was really interesting. He's not necessarily a hero, but a fascinating character because I think we see – those type of people again today that they have an idea and they're going to push for it regardless of kind of who gets caught in the crossfire. So um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting to see him and how he just keeps pushing the envelope. Like he's able to escape from all the carnage on the Island, but then decides like, yeah, I'm going to keep pushing things. I'm going to bring Kong to New York. And then of course it, um, goes downhill and i have a feeling that probably after this film he's going to try something else he doesn't necessarily strike me as the type of person that would learn so definitely not like in son of kong he was being sued the movie starts off with him trying to escape people (laughs) suing him for what kong did yeah yeah that's that's great but yeah Yeah. i definitely not a heroic character but a very interesting and compelling character yeah, that that was one thing I did not like about, um, and I do I do defend Peter Jackson's King Kong. There's about uh, seventy to eighty percent of it that's a great film, with about twenty to thirty percent which is ghastly. But Jack Black's character in that is not a nice guy in the end. I mean, I think Carl Denham in this film is, yeah, he's got a lot of drive. He's going to push, you know, uh, really hard and everything and take chances. But Peter Jackson's one was, he was kind of a scumbag, like somebody would get killed and they say they were going to donate all their money or Charles Grodin in the, uh, in the Kong movie too, wasn't as, as, as nice a guy in the 76 film either. Mm -mm. Not at all. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, you know, I think, uh, not to, not to crap on, on the Jackson one, but I, I don't know. I just don't buy Jack Black in that character as that character. No, like I, I don't, either. I don't, it just never really clicked with me no. um, because it's really like that end line 
has to be sincere and it has to be like, yes, that's the way to end this movie. And I don't, I think, yeah, I don't think it works on that film at all. Uh, But here it does. And uh, I think Uh, Mike, do you have a a favorite character? Um, For me, I think it's, you know, Dunham also, I like, you know, he's, it's interesting because he's not dislikable, you know, in it. And I like that you get, you know, he, you know, he was out there trying to make his movie type thing. And you, as you do it, he, you know, he, he was known for taking risks with everybody, with his stars and everything. And he gets, you know, oh, you're the one who has all, and they even said, oh, you're the person who makes all those wonderful, you know, animal movies and everything. And he, you know, he was the one who was hiding the information of where they were going until like they were halfway done the trip, you know, like, hey, where are we going? Type thing. And, you know, you would think he would be a total scumbag and everything, but he wasn't in this movie. And, you know, he was like, you know, even when Feyre's character got kidnapped, he was like, you know, he tried going after, her. you know, he tried help, helping the rescue, but he was on the other side of the ravine and everything. And, you know, then, of course, he had the harebrained idea. Hey, I can make a ton of money by taking Kong back to to New York. <laughs> like, we're going to all be millionaires. It's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not going to end well. So. I, uh, I, yeah, I like, uh, denim a lot too, but I mean, I really like, and especially the, during watching it this time, I really like Andero and Fay Ray's performance, not yeah, just her right. screaming, but when she's down out on her luck, you believe it. Yeah. When she's in love with Driscoll, you believe it. When she's scared for her life, you believe it. Like it's, if, it, if she doesn't, if you don't believe her, this movie doesn't work. Like this movie doesn't work at all. And yet she sells it so well, um, so much. And she's become so iconic in this part, even though like between the time that she filmed this and the time it was released, she did like four other movies. I think she came out with a total of like 10 or 11 movies in 1933. She was just cranking these things out. And yet she has a, and there's some really other great performances of hers as well. Um, most dangerous game she actually does during this time too. I think with the same director, and that's the same pretty awesome. Days. The same yeah. days they had to split that <laughs> split. She they said that she almost worked twenty four hours sometimes. Yeah, I think um, I think also Joe McRae, who was in that one, was supposed to be in this too, but I don't know why that didn't work out. That would have been an interesting choice. That would have been really interesting. Would have been good. I think he yeah. could have done it too. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So, but like I said, she's become so iconic in this role. That I always think she's blonde. <laughs> like I always think of her yeah. as blonde, and she she's yeah. wearing a wig. She's a, she's a natural brunette. Yeah, she's still the ultimate scream queen. I mean, they've they've used that term. I guess that got started what about thirty forty years ago. That term, mm-hmm. but really, you can talk about all the ladies and all the other films where there are you know, guys coming at you with the chainsaw and screaming. But Fay Ray is still considered numero uno, the top of the heap. Because, man, can she belt it. I was watching her in Mystery in the Wax Museum, and when she smashes the face of the guy, yes. and there's that rod underneath, her eyes kind of do this weird thing where they sort of go, <laughs> they kind of corkscrew, and almost like she's drunk, and then she goes, and then she explodes into this scream. I'm like, that's great. 
she is yeah. really good at that. But yeah, I like her character. I like I like the it's you know Jack Driscoll's a little heavy handed, you know all that kind of stuff. But you know that hey. I think I love you, you know, but, but yeah, I like that, when that he was started so believable to, right there, you know, when, when he, when he looks at her, she does the thing of knowing that he is, he, he, he's thinking about her in a very nice way. And then she does the face, which tells us that it's working both ways. I thought, I, I like that. I thought it was pretty good. Absolutely. Like I said, like she sells it. Like if she doesn't, if she doesn't, if she's not on her game, then yeah. this movie falls to pieces. Uh, so, so yeah, I give her the, the shout out for humans. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think we can talk enough about the star, the title character himself, Kong. I said this last week when we talked about the, the, the Muppets Mayhem series, it astounds me when artists take inanimate objects and make you feel, make you laugh, make you cry, make you like, question what they're thinking like it's just astounding to me and yeah as has been pointed out as despite its marvels you know this by today's standards still looks pretty rough but it it still comes across you still find yourself believing in kong Mm -hmm. in a way that uh is just absolutely outstanding no matter whether it's a puppet or whether it's that you know, because they had different models. They had like one that was, you know, slightly smaller. They had one that was bigger. And then of course they had like, you know, other they're, things that are they buildups too. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not pressed out. The skin is not right. pressed out. They have to build each one. And under those lights, the things would start to go bad and they'd have to build another one. So there's round face Kong and pointy head Kong and all that. You, you know, sometimes I've tried to draw them and I'm like, well, that doesn't look like that. And you're looking at another photograph and it's like all artists that love to draw or paint King Kong go through that situation. And I imagine now with the HD details, you can see like the fingerprints and the hand, whatever the handprints oh, on yeah. it and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that rippling fur where the hands were holding it, <laughs> moving his head. Why is his back spasming like that? You know, he needs to get to a chiropractor. I so, though it was interesting in the version I watched though yesterday how clean it was. Yeah, they done it. I mean, you can tell this is a, a film that people love because they they've restored it in such pristine condition. Yeah, usually the stuff added back in on a lot of films, like with Frankenstein and stuff, doesn't look as good. Uh, of course, the horrific, uh, you know, even though I'm grateful it's in it in Metropolis where they brought all that stuff from uh, down in South America and attached it back in. It's like crystal clear, crystal clear, crystal clear. Somebody yeah. buffed the film with sandpaper, and, uh, crystal clear, <laughs> crystal clear. And, and, but in this film, there is no transition from that. Almost all the film looks like it's from the same stock the same day, you know. Yeah, yeah, yep. and that's not uh, that's not uh, thanks to RKO, that's for sure. Because they they when they had to piece everything together, they uh, they had to use other sources uh, from other wow. countries that had their prints. Uh, my understanding, um, and uh, and there is one sequence that wasn't that uh, supposedly was there in the beginning was filmed, but has never been added back in because they can't find it. Uh, which is the uh, sequence that um, Peter Jackson does this in in his version, where after they fall off the log, or after I should say Kong like throws them off the log, uh, they go down into the valley and they get eaten up by 
bugs, lizards, whatever's down, spiders or something. Yeah. I don't Uh, think it was ever filmed. I think the real truth is the puppets were made and and physical photographs were taken of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody say there's actual footage of it. They felt that it was going to slow the pace down, so they didn't even bother filming it. Yeah, Cooper says that they filmed it and they aired it. Uh, They showed it to people and it stopped like people. It just was too much. Huh. And then there's a report from an audience member who swears he saw it at the time. And he says they, they, the audience laughed at it and that's why it was taken out. So there's, you know, it's one of those things of Hollywood legend, right? Does it actually exist? Was it actually filmed? Well, probably never know. Um, but, I was uh, watching a movie called Kay Kaiser's. You'll find out it had it was a comedy horror film, and I'm and he gets stuck down in the basement, and some of the monsters from that spider pit sequence are on the walls and on the shelves of this room in the dungeon. And as soon as I saw him, because I'd seen so many photographs, I'm like, <gasps> so I immediately went up online, Kay Kaiser's. You'll find out Kong stuff, and boom, all these people. Yep, that's the puppets from the unused spider sequence. So yeah. you can at least see them in that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Ashley, how do you feel about, about Kong as a character? Um, is it, and obviously, you know, he's still around. Uh, they're still making movies with him. He's part of the monster verse that is going on at, I think universal right now. Um, legendary films anyway. Um, what, what do you think of, of Kong as a character? Yeah, I I think it's really interesting what they do with Kong. I mean, he's not a human, so he's not able to communicate with dialogue. But the fact that the movie is able to show some of his emotions and his thoughts through his actions and the way he is moving and interacting. And yeah, I mean, there are some moments where he does some cruel stuff like he is a wild animal like stepping on the person like that was horrifying not only does he do it once he kind of checks on him and then steps on the person again like (laughs) this is not your uh, nice little like uh house cat or dog so um yeah he's he's a dangerous animal but yet that final sequence when he's on top of the empire state building and he's getting hit with the bullets from the plane and he looks down and he sees that he has been um, wounded and it keeps happening. And then he realizes that he's been mortally wounded and just falls off the tower. I mean, you do feel something for him. Like you feel sorry for like this creature that was like the king of his domain. And he's been brought to a place where he doesn't belong by humans. And then humans have to end up killing him because of their mistakes so it's just it's it's really fascinating and yeah even though he is dangerous i think that we we do feel a sense of regret once um this really impressive creature it has to be brought down in a violent way yeah and the the little things about it like you said like he doesn't just stomp somebody like he stomps him looks at him makes sure he, oh he's not dead yet and stomps him again like like there's yeah. just like they didn't like you know that cost probably another week or two weeks of work right <laughs> and yet they still did it because it it makes him more human or it makes him more real right yeah um and and yeah that that bit at the end like when he knows he's dying and uh, he picks up Fay Ray's character for one last look because he knows, I think, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Like he knows, and he like he looks at her, and then he sets her back down, and boom, that's the, that's when he that's when he kind of lets go. Yeah. Um, it's that was, just 
it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing that they gave him that much like sort of agency to feel something like that. And the fact that he doesn't take her with him and like eventual saying like, well, you're going to kill me. So she's going to die with me too. Like he, right. he lets her go in the end. Yeah. They cut out the part where he stomped her. Yeah. Well, t- <laughs> that didn't, didn't test well with audiences. Yeah. <laughs> or he just chucked her. Yeah. yeah really. Like, <laughs> threw her out of one of the planes. <laughs> and luckily uh, one of the pilots caught her at the yeah. last moment. <laughs> Actually, uh, actually, two of the pilots that shoot are uh, shoot shoot Kong are uh, Shodzak and Cooper. They what, actually, uh, two of the oh yeah, that's see. right because they yeah. actually were yeah they yeah they, uh, did the cosplay as some of the or costume as, as some of the pilots yeah yeah. Um, Mark, what about you? What is uh what about King Kong's introduction here makes it uh, makes him like have this huge legacy? Now we're still talking about him ninety years later. Uh, I think in a time period where people were really suffering, you know, most people were going to go see Fred and Ginger, which was a good way to get escape from your troubles. This was another way. Uh, I think that these guys were the Star Wars of their era. Um, I think uh, it, 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 it thrilled and entertained people. Um, I remember watching it with my then wife, uh, Carlin, and she had never seen it, and we got near the end of the film, and when the bullet started ripping in him, and he like dabs his finger and starts looking like what, this, this, this doesn't make any sense. What's happening to me? I've never, I'm, I've never been hurt. I've never been defeated. She looks over at me and she goes, "So sad." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's sad. I mean, that's the kind of the classic aspect of this thing." Um. You know, we know that nature and animals and stuff in the wild don't have the rules that we have. There's territoriality, there's hunger and things like that. And that's the world that Kong comes from. And he got brought to New York as a business idea and ends up being shot up and falling off the Empire State Building. And when you get there, um, I think they handled it real well. Um where the music also helps you, which, by the way, this is the first film with a full soundtrack all the way through the film. That's yeah. what a lot of people don't realize. I mean, yeah. they they weren't even sure whether that was going to be a continuing thing. This might have been the first and last time it's happened, but it caught on. And now all films and television shows have music through the whole shows. But Great, great score by Max Steiner. Max Steiner, who would go on to do a lot of other great things. But, uh, but there is a, a deep empathy for Kong. Uh, you know, in another reality, you just would you just be airlifted back to his island and dropped on there? And you know, I don't think the natives would have appreciated it, but you know, just you know, let him let him go back to where he's supposed to be. But that's modern sensibility about animals that uh, back then uh, I don't think people had. But I mean, the people who made this obviously had. I mean, because you do feel sympathy for him. Yes, and, they do, and they yeah. they don't they don't personify him a lot like i think most of the time not only do i believe in him as a character i believe him in him as an ape like i don't think of him as a person i actually believe that he's a a, an ape a huge like ape like like they i don't think they give him too many like like personable characteristics like you said they make him very animalistic or i think they studied gorillas they must have done a little bit anyway um 
but yet they still, you know, I mean, I don't think the humans come across looking very good in this. And I think that mm-hmm. was that. I mean, I think Cooper and Shardock are well aware that they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. So I agree. it's a fine line that they walked and it worked. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, yeah. They walked the razor and it, yeah. it worked. Uh, Mike, what about you? What's uh, what's the legacy of Kong? Well, legacy of Kong, it set the stage for a whole slew of monster movies of, you know, beauty and the beast type movies. And, you know, then also, you know, it set the table for so many, you know, stop motion animation and, you know, stories featuring monsters and creatures beyond belief. And, you know, it, it was awesome. It really, really did. But Kong always stood at the top of it. And to this day, even little kids know who King Kong is. And that's, you know, the legacy that this set. And, you know, like Mark had mentioned earlier, Son of Kong or all the different remakes or Godzilla versus Kong, you know, you know, the multiple versions they've done of it. And it's always, you know, Kong has always been in the imagination of everything. And most of the times with Kong, he always is becomes the sympathetic character in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because even if you look at the new Godzilla versus Kong, Kong was the more relatable than Godzilla was. In it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything. So it was just very interesting with that. So yeah. well, that's a whole, that's probably a whole other thesis that one could write <laughs> about like, about like why that is. But I mean, obviously, you know, gorillas are more, human-like than lizards uh and creatures like godzilla but uh but i do think there's something else there like being the first like i think we all know even though a lot of people probably haven't seen the original they 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 know he was the first the first of the big giant monsters that would come like multiple many 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 times um you know, I don't even know if we have Godzilla if it's if it's not for this movie because I that know was, that that was what the Japanese were going for. They were going yeah. for that and Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and they wanted to hand animate it. And Toho says, "Look, we don't have that kind of time and money, so put a guy in a suit," which created its own genre, which was which is cool. And I love <laughs> Godzilla films. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, they are different. <laughs> those are men, those are men in costumes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even Kong, even Kong is is a dude in a costume in that one. Uh, all right. Before we get out of here, Mark, I have to ask you because I know you probably would know this better than anybody. Um, if you want to find out more about the making of this movie, are there any great documentaries, books, resources? What 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 do you think are the best resources for? more behind the scenes information for for this movie oh goodness because uh, i think i, got, I think the making of this movie is probably just as good of a story as the movie itself yeah i will say this the 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 version that i've got the blu-ray that i picked up which is like the amazon standard i think mm-hmm. i didn't realize there was all this extra stuff on it today so i you know just before we started this show i went and made myself a big old bowl of popcorn and put on the movie and then i went to the extras and it's like there's like two, three, four hours worth of freaking extras there. And one of them is a two and a half hour documentary on the film. And I'm like, why in the heck did I not start this hours ago? Uh, that's pretty good. Um, there's a bunch of different books. There's been many, many books written on Kong. There's been three or four 
documentaries. There's even one, I think, on Amazon or Netflix or something that I think even some of my artwork is in. Uh, uh, Long Live the King, I think, is the name of that one. And then there's another one that won the Rondo this year, another King Kong a documentary. I can't remember the name of it right at the moment, but there's lots of stuff out there if you want to know about King Kong. Lots of books, you know, uh, you know and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I would imagine that the uh, – man, I wish – Again, not to dump on Peter Jackson's version, but I wish he had made a movie about the making of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think that's what I would have really wanted to see from him, uh, because yeah. that is a fascinating story that I think could still be told. And it still might be. But uh, uh, but cool. Well, I, I imagine that with the 90th anniversary, there's going to be a lot of stuff out there. So uh, so, um Yeah. It was fun to talk about it. Um, Ashley, I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to see it finally. Uh, we can add that. We can check that one off your list. Yes. <laughs> of 1,000 movies you should see before you die or whatever that is. Uh, anyway, um, but it's been fun as always. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be creative. After a long wait, new Doctor Who is on its way. We're gearing up to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the show with a brand new Doctor. Let's welcome Shudi Gatwa as the 14th Doctor. Um, no. Shudi is the 15th Doctor. David Tennant is the 14th Doctor. Wait, wait, wait. I thought David Tennant was the 10th Doctor. Okay, I'm confused. Confused? Well, your friends here at the Earth Station Who podcast are here to help you through all your Doctor Who questions. Check us out wherever fine podcasts are found. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And now it's time for the creative outlet segment. And let's welcome Matthew Quinn back to the show. Welcome, Matthew. It's been a while. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's been uh, four or five years, I think. I'm not sure. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's our Absolutely. pleasure. Definitely our pleasure. So you have a new book out and you're here to talk about it. Uh, yeah. The new book is called Serpent Sword. It's the second book in my series, Battle for the Wastelands. Um, I describe the Battle of the Wasteland series as basically the Dark Tower meets Game of Thrones. It's a steampunk military fantasy in a post-apocalyptic, vaguely Western world. Oh, nice. Very cool. So, you know, tell us a little more detail about the book and everything. You know, how many parts is this series going to be? And, you know, what what can our viewers and our listeners expect from it? Okay, so there's the first book, Battle for the Wastelands. There's a prequel novella I wrote back when ebook novellas were the big thing. We're talking like 2014. Sure, and sure. the newest book is called Serpent Sword. That's the second main series book. I'm not sure if I'm going to do any more novellas in between. But, um, yeah, Serpent Sword is a bit longer. Oh, that's awesome. So if, you're, so, um, if you talk about something interesting you, the readers might like, Transcontinental Dirigible Commando Raid. Oh, Airborne Ops. Well, okay. That definitely sounds interesting. Absolutely. That's a, that's a long hashtag. Yes. 
very much. <laughs> I, I, I could say, oh, the humanity. <laughs> there you go. Because mm-hmm. that comes up a couple times. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Is it is it out now? Available like uh, in hard copy, digital? Oh, oh that? yes. Okay. So it's on it... Kindle Unlimited. It's available. The ebook is Amazon only. It's an expanded distribution, so you could order it through bookstores. And of gotcha. course, request your local library to stock all of it. Excellent. Sure. That is awesome. And, you know, of course, you, is the first book still in print and everything? Oh, yeah. That was independently published. So um, it'll be there as long as Amazon stands. It'll probably be a long time. Are you uh, doing any any shows in uh, promotion of it? Um, let's see. Well, um, um, the weekend of the June 10th, I'm going down to the, I think it's called Joe Fest, a G.I. Joe and Comics Convention in Augusta. And right. then on June 24th, Huntsville Con in Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be um, vending. I'm not on any panels. Very nice. So you'll have a nice author table where people can come up and talk to you about the books and everything. Oh, yeah. And my faithful square reader in case anyone would like to buy them. Oh, of course. <laughs> the most important part of the table, of course. Absolutely. I haven't uh, I haven't done either one of those shows. Have you done them before? Are they good shows to go to? Augusta, yeah. I went there last year and I sold 27 copies of my first book, The Thing in the Woods. Oh, yeah. I remember that. That's, uh, yeah, I think that might have been what you were uh, promoting last yeah. time you were here. Yeah, I think I was, the, I got a full geek seat the first Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's, that's the price you pay. Uh, and that was, that was horror. So you switched from horror to fantasy. Are you still doing um, other genres as well? Yeah, that's my next book is probably going to be the, the, Third book in the Thing in the Woods series is called The Walking Worm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, you have, you have, you have any D&D people in the house? Uh, yeah. It's a worm that walks, only it's more sci-fi oriented. I have about a quarter to written. I just need to sit down and do it. I have no idea when it's actually going to come out. I would guess probably sometime in 2024. I already have the cover made, so if I slack off, I'm out 400 bucks. <laughs> That is pretty awesome, Matthew. That is cool. And after this book, are you going to work on the third part of the trilogy, or do you have other projects? Um, probably. It's um, the sequence I have planned out for the Battle for the Wasteland series is nine books and maybe a tenth that's a time jump. Um, if it doesn't sell well, I can cut it off at six. You know, I've got to design the story a certain way. It just depends on who escapes from the burning capital city and who doesn't. Gotcha. Who survives? Who doesn't? This is the big question at the end of the second book. That's pretty awesome. That is awesome, sir. So one more time, how can people find your stuff? Okay. Um, the eBooks are Amazon exclusive because they're Kindle unlimited. So there's Battle for the Wastelands and Serpent Sword. The series is called Battle for the Wastelands. There's an ebook and novella called Son of Grendel that came out after Battle for the Wastelands with the chronology taste earlier. And if you want paperback books, you can go to any of the ebook um, or any of the bo- online book retailers like Books a Million or Barnes and Noble or that independent one because I set it on, through Kindle to expand a distribution. So it should be an in Ingram. Hmm. So you can get print books many different places, but ebooks, Amazon only. 
And I'm on Substack, Matthew W. Quinn, but it cut off the second N in Quinn. So you can follow my newsletter there, which also set up a paid subscription model too. Okay. That's pretty awesome, dude. That is really, really awesome. We can have links to all that in our show notes. Most definitely, we will. We definitely will. Well, thank you, Matthew, for joining us and letting us know about the new book. Don't be a stranger. We definitely would love to follow when as you get the, into the third and see, you know, what else you got coming up. Well, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. We're going to be closing up the show. Duh. <laughs> That's going to be even better. What you gonna do, brothers and sisters, when thousands of geeky fans descend on Atlanta for five days and nights of the grandest con of them all? You can prepare by training, eating your vitamins, saying your prayers, and checking out the Dragon Con Report each and every month leading up to the show. Watch or listen and let Dragon Con Mania run wild on you! that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. Let's thank our guests first, of course, Mr. Mark Maddox. Thank you, as always, my friend. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love coming on here. Oh, it's always great to have you on, sir. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? I'm leaving from here next week or so, and I'll be going up to Wonderfest in Louisville, Kentucky where I will be there on the weekend of the 9th, 10th, and 11th of June. And then I don't even come home. I turn around and I go to drive over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I go to Monster Bash in Pittsburgh the weekend of the 16th, 17th, and 18th. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's If you love classic monsters, or in the case of Wonderfest, classic science fiction, fantasy, and horror, they're both great conventions. I, I can't recommend them highly enough. So that's what I'll be doing uh, during this upcoming month. That is awesome, my friend. That is truly, truly awesome. That's pretty cool. And of course, Miss Ashley Pauls, thank you as always. Oh, thank you. I I enjoy getting to um, talk about any movie with you guys, but it's always fun to uh, revisit a classic or unfortunately, often in my case, visit it for the first time. But I appreciate expanding my uh, film repertoire. I feel like it's always worthwhile. It's always great to be able to actually talk to you about this kind of stuff. And, you know, or as we said earlier, educating Ashley. It's always a great thing. Anything and educates us, too, because we see it through your eyes. And that's pretty oh, exactly. yeah. Yeah, and It's that's great good. to hear about it from your eyes, too, yeah. which is really cool. Anything you want to shout out about? Yeah, just I feel like always whenever I do these uh, classic episodes, it just reminds me um, there's so much content out today. It's hard to keep caught up with all of it but it's always worth your time to go back and revisit some classics and don't be afraid even if you're like me and you've never seen it like there's no better time to go 
hunt it down than now. So um, it's it's if you're a film fan, it's well worth your time to go back and check out some of these very influential films. And I think it will help. It helps me appreciate even more of my favorite films today because I know films like Star Wars, which is my personal favorite franchise, wouldn't have it without some of these classic movies that paved the way. Oh, sure. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. We did. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, yeah, our good friend Jay Shearer has a uh, short film that he's working on, writing and producing, called No Vacancy. It's a superhero thriller, and uh, it's you can find out more about it. Uh, he's actually uh, crowdfunding it on Indiegogo. We will have a link to that in our show notes. So, but if you are watching this on YouTube or, you know, just want to uh, check it out, uh, go to Indiegogo and put in uh, just a search for either Jay Shear or No Vacancy and it'll come up. Um, uh, yeah, he's made a few short films and it's always really interesting to see what he comes up with. So uh, I have no doubt this will be worth checking out and worth supporting if you can do that. Oh, very much so. And Jay does such a great job on all those things he does. It's just, it's awesome. And yeah, he's always talking about good stories. It's nice to put, for see him put his money where his mouth is. Exactly. <laughs> you know, finally creating <laughs> one. Hopefully he hasn't crossed the picket line or it's too, but to oh, well, yeah. be able to do that. So, all right. My shout out real quick is of course, going off to live music, you know, Judy and I continue to go see live music and we actually on Friday night got to go see Yo-Yo Ma mm-hmm. in oh, okay. Maxwell. Wow. Um, Tennessee and it was it was totally awesome it was a blast it was a it was a it was just not him playing but it was him and about probably about a half dozen uh, other musicians like Chris Thiele from Nickel Creek and the Punch Brothers and uh, Rihanna Gibbons and a few other folks uh, playing and it was all Appalachian music and it was awesome they even had native american speakers and singers and musicians playing and it was it was just a beautiful beautiful evening sitting literally at the base of the world's fair tower in knoxville in the park there and sitting outside and being able to listen to this kind of music just makes you realize how fortunate we are to be able to live in a world where we get this kind of material and be thankful for what you get and it's just it's just awesome to be able to do it and we just had a blast we drove up you know earlier in the evening Maxfield's not that far from Atlanta only three hours and then we drove home through the mountains it was it was beautiful on Saturday to be able to do that and we just had a blast and you know what we got more music coming up we you know are constantly adding more and more concerts to our list and everything and we just love going to see music and it's, you know, instead of buying stuff, we go see music and stuff like that. You you know, it's our our way of doing things and everything and everything. It's more about the experience in life. And life is way too short to be able to sit around and just not enjoy it. So definitely, if you get a chance, check it out, folks. And of course, that's going to wrap up the show for tonight. Thank you, everyone. As we always love saying, we could not do this show without you guys. Um, thanks as always for listening. You know, please, if you get a chance, you know, if you want, check out our T Public store. We have the new Earth Station One Seven Hundred T-shirt up there. 
Then we also, of course, have the Darren Noel t-shirt. We have a couple other new ones in the works, including, you know, some new, you know, just phrases and stuff with, you know, goofy drawings on it and stuff that I'm putting together. It's, you know, just fun stuff to, you know, have on a t-shirt and everything. And you never know, might have our faces on it again. That could be really scary if you do that. <laughs> so, you know, I'll scare people off. We want people to check it out. But check out our, you know, Tea Public store. You can get there either through the top of the ESO network page or the top of the Earth Station One page. There's a link right to Tea Public. And they have different sales all throughout the month and everything. And we'll post ads on it up on our Facebook and our wherever social media is. So definitely fun, you know, to create a new T-shirt, stuff like that. Also, if you get a chance and you want to help support the network, of course, there's the ESO Network Patreon. And we definitely thank every one of our patrons for helping us out. And, you know, we have folks at the dollar level, the $5 level, the $10 level, and the $15 level who have been supporting us for years now. And we thank you. Thank you. And yes, you too can help support us. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. It's pretty cool stuff, folks. We also want to hear from you. Please. Feedback at our station one is the best way to do it. Or if you're up on YouTube, like and subscribe, like and subscribe, as we like to say, and ring that damn bell. So that way you can find out when we have new episodes go live. And, you know, subscribing is the best way to do it. And we have gotten some great new subscribers up there recently. So keep on adding. I'd like to get, I would, my goal, actually, by the end of the summer, I would like to have 200 subscribers. That's my goal. I think that's a pretty cool goal for tell it. your friends. Like and share. Tell your, tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Go into their YouTube. Subscribe for them. It's always a good thing to do. <laughs> so it's always a great way to do it. So definitely check it out. Also, you know, as we like to say, thank you for listening. From the bottom of my heart, this has been awesome talking about King Kong. And we've got some great shows coming your way, folks. We have next our next episode. We're talking about the $6 million man, the bionic woman. Then we got Spider-Man next week. And then we have all these other things we got going. We got some great stuff happening. And you know what? We get to talk to some great people. We get some really cool stuff. And of course, thank you to Matthew Quinn for stopping by and helping promote his book also. So it's pretty cool what we get to be able to do and everything. So on behalf of myself, Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, Mr. Mark Maddox, and last but never least, Ashley Pauls. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you here next time on our station one. Peace. And we are done. Boom. Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. George, George, George of the jungle, strong as he can be. Ah! Watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle lives a life that's free. Ah! Watch out for that tree. When he gets in the street, he makes his escape with the help of his friend. And deep, deep, deep. Then away he'll schlep on his elephant ship. One fella and Ursula stay in step. Well, George, George, George of the jungle, friend to you and me. Hey, what are you trying to do? You ruined my record, man. I just bought it. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.